right, and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Unite podcast. Unexpectedly, uh, you know, we might have taken a couple of weeks off, but uh, it's summer. What uh, what can you do? It's hot outside. Didn't want the computer to melt or anything. So uh, we are back and we are going to analyze uh, all that's happened in the hockey world from the finals to the somewhat lackluster expansion draft and the draft itself uh we have with us kenzie and charles back with us gentlemen how are you doing doing pretty well can't complain i got no complaints here man uh sun sun is shining and and it's about oh eight eight weeks for preseason hockey so countdown is on once again yeah no one's counting uh (laughs) Who's keeping track at all? I don't know. Uh, we did a, a finals kind of intro. Uh, your Montreal Canadiens made it all the way, uh, I guess, second place silver medal since the Olympics are going on. Not that that's a consolation prize to, to many fans, but uh, 28 years. Uh, what a ride. It took a lot of uh, Canadians in general, uh, kept the country on edge. Uh, just give us a little, uh, you know, how excited you were, how proud you are of the team, and uh, what excites you about uh, the future going forward. I um, could not be prouder of the Montreal Canadiens and what they did. They had, you know, they came out of the regular season. They were on fire, like 9-1-4 and four to start the year. And they hit a couple of rough patches, had a lot of injuries. Gallagher went down. Weber, as we now know, was battling injuries that would make most most of us mere mortals cry and whimper long ago. And he battled through the whole season with it. Carrie Price was hurt twice. Uh, we were the last team to clinch a playoff spot. And no one gave us a chance in any round. The Leafs were supposed to beat us and just, you know, shoo us away. And they almost did. But then they choked, like the Leafs always do. Sorry, Leaf fans, truth hurts. Um, then... You know, Winnipeg was supposed to just sweep us away, and, well, the reverse was true. We swept them quite handily. They never really posed a threat. Uh, Vegas, again, supposed to take us to, to the woodshed. Didn't happen. We finally happened with Tampa, so you Cinderella run came to an end there, but could not be more proud. Uh, God, the amount of overtime games and the amount of sleep I lost staying out to watch those. And anyone out there listening who was a father, or mother sports fans, you'll know that yeah, overtime plus kids equals no sleep. So, but uh, other than that, I just I, I can't be more excited to see the season come again and see us uh, what, what we can do with the divisions back the way that they're going to be again as they were two years ago. Um, yeah, I, I I fully did not expect that to happen um, when Montreal kind of started rolling there against Toronto. And it was nice to, uh, it was nice to see them run, to see them go that far. Definitely surprising to, I think everybody included myself included. Um, When I was filling out brackets, I know I said it on the last episode, I didn't have them beating the Leafs. So to see them going through the Leafs, then through the Jets, then through Vegas was quite exciting. Um, Super proud of how they did. Moving forward, there's a lot of young talent there that I think um, will help us grow and 
hopefully they build around and hopefully that'll lead to many more successful years like this. Would you guys say that this was kind of Tampa's last, like the, everyone says you need three to be a dynasty. They got two back to back. I mean, everyone knows the, you know, 18 over the salary cap. That's nothing new. Uh, but how much do you think Tampa has to quote, blow it up just to get salary cap compliance and uh, what do you think is going to be left uh, going forward? Is there a chance they three-peat? I honestly, honestly think that you know, they'll at least be a strong contender next year. They're not going to have to blow up everything. Yes, Barkley Goodrow is gone. Uh, they're going they, to uh, – they lost Yanni Gord in the expansion draft. Uh They've already lost. I think they've lost the the entire fourth line that they had there. There's separate trades, um, but they still got Steven Stamkos. They still got Nikita Kucherov. They still have Andre Palat. Uh, they still have. Um, I think they still have Alex Gilhorn, don't they? Yeah. Uh, they still have Andre Vasilevsky, who is pretty much the only goalie who can slug out slug Carey Price in, in a straight save versus save. He's the only goalie who can have a chance against that. They have Victor Hedman on the, the blue line still stacked and led by Hedman. At the very least, they're going to be a top three team in the Atlantic division and they'll have a chance to defend their crown and go for a three-peat. Will they actually make it that far? I mean, we still have a whole season plus a trade deadline to get through, so I can't say yes or no. But I don't think you're going to see them totally blow up the whole team. I think you'll see a lot of the periphery players jettisoned and I'll pick up more ones next year when they try and run it back again. Just to add to that, what you said, Charles, um, they've also got a, uh, they've also drafted well when Steve Eiserman was there and well, Julian Breezebois has taken over and they've got a lot of young guys that I feel that'll just plug right into those spots, you know, saying good row is gone and Yanni Gord is gone. Those, those hurt, those losses definitely hurt them. But when you've got young guys like Sorelli's on his way up, you've got Mitchell Stevens, you've got all these other young kids, you know, I, I don't see them really blowing it up in, in this traditional sense of you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. Okay, what are we going to do? I think they have a lot of good internal options to fill those holes. Don't they still have Cal Foot on defense as well? Uh, son of the yeah. Hall of Famer Adam Foot? Yeah, they do. They have... There's a lot of talent there, so I think they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. It sounded like the, yeah, they do. Yeah, can't <laughs> wait for that. Just that's uh, it's like the old, old Red Wings model, right? You, yeah, you exactly. They couldn't afford them, and somebody's right behind them, right in this spot. Exactly. I mean, back, back in the days, uh, Zetterberg and Datsuk were late round picks. I mean, Zetterberg was a ninth round pick back yeah. when they had nine rounds, and Datsuk was like a seventh round pick. Uh, but you know, to your point there, uh, Kenzie, you said about CBY and Julian Breezeball, CBY learned from some of the best in the business in Detroit, took that knowledge of Tampa, refined it. Now he's taking it back to Detroit where he's doing it all over again. But Julian Breezeball was his pupil, his, uh, protege. So yeah, I, I don't see Tampa having any problems filling those holes. There's a reason why Detroit went to the playoffs year after year. Uh, they weren't, you know, 
always going to win the Stanley Cup, but when you have a model like that and someone goes down and someone right there to to crack it up, it's uh, that's built. That's how you build success. And uh, now we're starting to see the fruits of the labor of people who were involved in that or players and took that model and now implementing it all over set Tampa up for success for how many years now? We don't know. Uh, hopefully it ends up back in Detroit because they, they've been suffering ever since that streak was, was snapped. Uh, but uh, it's, it's a model. It's almost like the, the hockey version of, uh, of uh, Moneyball, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, you know, except money, money, you actually put skill in, I guess, talent and slotting it and teamwork and uh, who works with where. And I'm sure there, there'll be a book about it sometime. And we'll all buy it and we'll all read it and be like, oh, yeah, that seems so simple. How did we not think of that? And <laughs> <laughs> uh, But going forward, so now the off season, and we've had, uh, it seems like a slew of trades just kind of out of nowhere, but I mean, it's just because the draft and everything is a year or a month later than it normally is. I don't think I remember seeing so many trades where nobody went in return. No picks, no nothing. And it was just kind of weird. And multiple, not just one, but multiple have happened uh, in the past week. Uh, any trades that you guys uh, that stand out as... Uh, really benefiting one side or the other? Oh, I think the big one of the, probably the biggest blockbuster trade of them all is the one that stands out to me. And that's the one with Phoenix and, well, excuse me, Arizona and Vancouver. Uh, I didn't, I did not see Connor Garland getting a package there. I knew they wanted to move on from Oliver Ekman Larson. They've been shopping him now the last two uh, trade deadlines and at the drafts and he hasn't moved in two years. So no surprise to see him get moved, but the Connor Garland addition there shocked the living daylights out of me because he was originally, at least what we were all led to believe was going to be a part of the like fourth or fifth attempt at a nucleus there in, in the desert to actually build a team. And they ship him off with OEL to Vancouver where they're going to join arguably one of the top three young teams in the league. I, I, I'll call it that way. I mean, uh, Brock Besser, Elias Pedersen. Uh, I could go on and on about how many young players are in Vancouver who have got a bright future. You add in Connor Garland there for a little bit of scoring touch, uh, a little bit more of a bulldog at scoring touch, plus a, a guy like uh, Larson who can pass the puck, uh, going to replace Alex Edler pretty much because it looks like he's on his way out. And suddenly Vancouver goes from a team in transition to a team who might even actually be a playoff contender next year. That's the one that uh, I, I love the most. I think it, it really benefits Vancouver more than Arizona because Arizona is never going to get their act together. <laughs> Let's face it. They're going to be a joke for years. They'll, they'll, they'll be the punch, walking punchline to every joke for the next 20 years. Uh, but no, I think Vancouver pretty much stole Connor Garland out of there and they're going to reap the, the big rewards out of that one. Um, I have two actually, and it's the, it's two of the trades that Philadelphia made getting Rasmus Ristolainen and the big one with Ryan Ellis. 
Um, mm. Definitely shoring up that defense in front of a young Carter Hart. That's going to help him get better, and that's going to help that team get better. Um, the other one would be Seth Jones. I guess we haven't really mentioned that one either, going to Chicago and signing a long-term deal there. Um, I could see that being really beneficial. Chicago has drafted well. They're a young team, but they've still got their veteran parts. Taves will be back. Patrick Kane is still there. Um, I think they're a team to watch as well. Yeah, they were the the surprise. You know, no one gave them a shot, and you know they they stuck. They've stuck with it the past two years. You know, in the bubble, they surprised, <laughs> and it actually advanced. And then uh, you know they stuck with it for a long period of time last season. Uh, and almost made the playoffs when everyone was like, okay, like, calm down, Chicago. You you need a high draft pick. And they were like, do we, though? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Seth Jones, he's been such an, you know, keeping Columbus relevant, I think. With all the other moves that Columbus has tried to make, you know, all, going all in and it not working, you know, he's been a hard worker had to sit through how many coaches in his young career already and you know he he's gonna thrive i think in chicago and you know we'll talk about it later but he has his brother now so i mean like what's what's cooler than to get traded and then get to play with your uh, brother uh, in the nhl uh but yeah philadelphia has made a heck of a lot of moves uh you know they've been kind of teetering on will they won't they for a little bit uh you can make the argument that the past two seasons or the bubble and this past season where you know get some playing experience see what's working and then really this year now that we know it's a go and everything will be quote back to normal uh now they can really see the fruits of what they've been working on the past two years uh, so now that things are going back in the alignment category, uh, you know, the door is kind of open. Pittsburgh's on their way down. Uh, is it Philadelphia's turn to, you know, take the top spot? New York Islanders are kind of there hovering as well. So it's, uh, I think that division's going to be very, very interesting going forward. I think it's a simpler explanation for Philadelphia is that they've been embarrassed by the penguins for too many years and now they pretty much said enough is enough and right just to add on to your point there crosby and malkin are getting older they're now in their mid-30s and that just shows how old the rest of us are getting since we all remember those two getting drafted uh malkin in 04 and crosby in 05 yikes um but no they are getting up there now 34 35 years of age and they were able to keep a, a championship core intact for so long and Philadelphia had their core, but they never get over the hump. So I think they finally just said, okay, Pittsburgh, you've had your turn. Now it's ours. Pittsburgh's been that crutch for so, you know, Washington for years, Washington could never beat Pittsburgh. And, you know, they finally were able to get over the hump and they won it. Uh, you know, Philadelphia, same thing, but they've just, never been able to defeat the demon in in their uh you know very close rival and it's shown 
uh, New York, the Islanders were kind of the same way. They were never able to, to get over the hump. And then finally something's clicked now. And uh, you know, whether it's the coaching uh, change that's actually worked plus getting the right players in the right positions uh, you know, the Rangers have been trying to do that and they just, you know, I, I kind of, I, I don't know where the Rangers are at. They're, they're kind of teetering and, you know, yeah, they have uh, Lafreniere, but I, I just, they're, they're a little bit of ways, I still think. And so it's uh, going to be a, a slug them out, I think, between four to five teams in that conference. And as we know, you know, three get in for sure. And then, there's two extra spots. We'll have to wait and see what happens. And that's without talking about the Atlantic division, you know, Montreal, Toronto, Tampa, Florida, even no one's Florida sneakily gotten very, very good. And, you know, they're still the second best team in their state, uh, which tells you something. Uh, so I think the East this year, uh, I don't think it's going to be something to laugh at. And basketball, especially, you always hear the, oh, the East is horrible compared to the West. Why don't they just let the top 16 teams? And it'd be like 11 teams from the West and four teams from the East. In hockey, it's what I like about it. Any year, you know, Montreal, the last team to get in, they can make it all the way. Uh, I don't think we're going to have an issue going forward where people complaining that one division or uh, one side of the the continent is far superior because it's it's going to be all hands on deck and it's going to be a a long 82 game season that's really going to come down to I think till March before we have a clear kind of understanding of what is going to take place in the springtime. But springtime's far away. We haven't even gotten to fall and winter here in Canada. We don't want to think about that right now. Uh, expansion draft. Yes, we have 32 teams now. Seattle, I do like the name. I do like the, you know, Seattle's really good with their color scheme. I'm not a fan of any of the Seattle teams, uh, although I do kind of miss the Supersonics. Uh, and I can't like the Seahawks because they're in the same division as my team. So, uh, but they always bring it with the uniforms and the colors. I was very, very excited. And then about two o'clock local time, all these lists started to come out about people, um, you know, who's being taken. And I was like, I was like, how do they like, are these just really good guesses or uh, were you guys kind of disappointed or intrigued seeing all the lists coming out and them being practically right? A little bit, to be honest with you, I was a little disappointed that so much of the list came out. I would have been okay if maybe one or two names got leaked, because then it sort of gives you an idea of like what way they're leaning as a team. And but but there's still a lot of there's still a lot of debate that can happen. Uh, hockey fans are, in my opinion, second to none when it comes to guessing the future and debating. And just for you know, just for good old laughs and chuckles seeing just picking three people like the three of us and then we could spend six hours debating why one team should pick another over one player over another and none of us are proving each other wrong but we're just giving a healthy exchange of ideas and i think hockey fans are second to none of that so the amount of information that got leaked ahead of the expansion draft killed a lot of that and kind of made it anticlimactic and then seattle took the rest of it away by making it even more anticlimactic 
Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I, I woke up in the morning kind of fully excited to watch the presentation, I guess we'll call it, later on that evening, which that's a conversation for another time, the presentation of the team and the event that they had. Um, and then later on that morning, mid-afternoon, just bing, 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 phones blowing up and it's, oh, it's this guy from here and this guy from here. And I almost didn't watch the program in the evening because of it, because I basically said, well, there, there's 23 names. Like, what what suspense is this? What surprise is this going to be? So I've, I feel the leaks kind of took away from it. Um, but yeah, like you said, Charles, we could have debated all day <laughs> the picks and it could have been, it could have been a lot. I think it could have been a lot better had they not leaked them and just let us hockey was... fans and debate and just go on and on. Do you think that was partly because of the pandemic and they pre-recorded a lot of it? Um or... I, you know, because the Vegas one was so intriguing and everyone watched that. Like, that was, you know, you had lots of eyeballs. And, and from what I'm hearing, uh, like you guys are saying, you know, no one was really excited to watch it because everything had been spoiled for them. Uh, do you think it was, you know, the NHL did what they could, but that was, you know, pandemic played into it? Uh, do you think even the NHL is happy? I can speak that right off the bat because there was this. A couple articles that came out right off, right the day after the expansion draft. I'm not sure if you guys saw them, but Batman was livid about how much information was released ahead of time. He was not happy because the viewership ratings sunk. Like the, I think it was like a one, a 1. 1.5 viewership rating for that thing. It was not a good TV event. Uh, Kenzie, you said about Vegas, it was phenomenal. I think it drew for like a non like game related event it drew one of the highest rating sports that ever had for hockey it beat all the entry drafts to beat everything else they had like any all-star game because people wanted to see it no one knew you knew one or two names and a lot of rumors but no one knew what was happening so it was a big event even i remember watching it uh but yeah uh batman was batman and uh, his uh, right-hand students there bill daly were pretty pissed yeah, I, I mean, I didn't see those articles, but I can imagine he wasn't too happy about that. I wouldn't be. You're trying to make you, you're trying to make money, which is your goal in the business world, which is his world. Um, and when there's nobody watching, you're not getting money. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't see us having another expansion draft in a long, long time, but uh I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned. Um, out of uh, Seattle's uh, pick, uh, how do you think they did? Uh, I know everyone gave their their opinions, their grades. Um, I gave them a you know a, my my first year high school average of a C, um, but uh, I, I didn't. I don't. I think I saw one. B grade and I, I didn't really understand that but uh yeah what do you what grades did you guys give uh the Kraken I gave them a C personally um I think they left a lot of potential names on the table that they could have taken um 
the goaltending seems solid. The defense seems really good. They've got a lot of names back there. The forward group is very lacking, in my opinion. Um, could they have used a Landeskog or a Tarasenko, knowing that maybe they don't want to play there? Maybe they got to flip them. Maybe they can't. Yes. I do know that Ron Francis likes to have his cap space. He likes to be able to kind of pick and choose who he wants. And I think you'll see him take a run at some free agents here. The team as it's currently built is very, very heavy in the bottom six with Eberly and Yanni Gord being any sort of top six winger. So I think you'll see him go hard in free agency. As far um, as giving Seattle grades, I actually, I can't give them an overall grade because it's either going to be too high or it'll be actually un, un, unfairly too harsh. I had to break it down. Uh, forward group, straight up F, because there is no one player who can galvanize the team there. There is not even like a second line player. I mean, Jordan Eberle and Yanni Gord, uh, second line players, but nothing dynamic. Uh, like Kenzie said, they left a lot of names on the table, even names that they probably should have taken. I mean, they could have afforded one or two big names and still had lots of cap space. That's the one part I'll give Ron Francis. I'll give him an A for managing the cap space because he's got about $29.5 million or so uh, to go use and to go get maybe two or three monster names out there. He could go get Gabriel Landeskog if he hits the market. He can go get Dougie Hamilton. I mean, they already have a great defense, but that would just make it even better if Hamilton hits the market. Um I don't know you've got a bunch of other guys you can choose from on the market. Plus, you know, he could turn around and take uh, Jaden Swartz in St. Louis. That would be a, a good UFA pickup if they can nab that. I know Hyman's going to Edmonton on Wednesday. That's uh, going to be the worst kept secret in the world. <laughs> uh, but they were trying to do the sign and trade. Uh, one part I got to give Ron Francis an F, though, that actually has very little to do with his expansion draft was his asset management. Uh, he did not do anywhere near as good a job as uh, uh, McCrimmon did with Vegas of getting extra assets for not choosing certain players. Granted, everyone had, every GM had four years to learn, and a couple teams like Florida dealt that pretty badly for the first couple of years, losing both Marshall Show and Riley Smith. Uh, Minnesota lost Eric Halla, and those guys all wound up playing big roles in Vegas and still are. But Ron Francis set his price too high and was way too inflexible. The word all around the hockey world was he was not budging on his demands. And that actually kind of backfired on him a little bit because he didn't get any extra prospects, any extra picks. He didn't get any extra players where he could really start flipping people around like Vegas did. And I think Vegas, not only do they have 30 players that that night of the expansion draft, but they also picked up like nine more on side deals. So they actually wound up with almost 40 players and like an extra five draft picks that night. Uh, so I think, like I said, cap wise, great job, Ronnie Francis defense wise. I'm going to give him a B plus pretty, pretty good defense, pretty solid group. I'm going to disagree on the goaltending. I'm going to give that a C minus. Drigger is unproven at best. 
yes, he had a decent year in Florida, but that's Florida in the pandemic year. All these numbers, we're gonna, no one's ever going to count them too much unless you're Connor McDavid scoring 100 points in 56 games. Um, but I, I don't see that goaltending being a strength. Joey Decord and what's his name there that I can never pronounce in Washington? Check. Thank you. Um, none of these guys are proven top tier starters or even tier two starters in the NHL. I don't see any of these guys as being able to steal games too often for the team. So the only saving grace is that they're playing in a, in a Pacific division that's got Arizona and Anaheim and LA who are all rebuilding plus the three Canadian teams uh, or three of the, the Western Canadian teams, I should say. And that might be the only reason they get into the playoffs. They will not make as a wildcard team. I can promise you that the two wildcards will come out of the central division. So, I just want to touch on the the carry price. Was that was that just to get people talking? Uh, like, because it came out, and then two days later, it came out that like, oh, he might need surgery. Do you think that was just the way it was presented to the public, and it should it had to have been disclosed to everyone behind the scenes? Because uh, the the way that it came out to us, I was like, mm, that's a little, you know, oh, yeah, he's available. And then, oh, by the way, he's a little injured. So do you want him? Do you? It seemed a, a little fishy, but I, I want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt that everyone knew behind the scenes. And it's just us not privy to that information. Seattle had to have fair access to every player's medical records on demand. Uh, for the expansion process. So they knew once the protected lists were sent in and they could see who was unprotected, they had access to every single player who's unprotected. So Seattle already knew probably by early Sunday morning, uh, a good 12 to 18 hours before we heard about Carey Price's knee and hip, they, they knew that, okay, this he's probably going to need surgery on at least one thing, uh, maybe two, and odds are he'll at best play most of the, he'll play maybe two thirds of the season with us, uh, but he recovers. So they, they knew by Sunday night, they, they knew what the odds were for how many games to get out of Carey Price and all the factors there. That was uh, just part of the league mandate uh, that all, all clubs make all medical records available to Seattle. Um, for me, Yes, Seattle did know. Like Charles said, they had the medical records. They knew he was potentially injured. I think the bigger factor and reason why they dangled him was that salary. He's owed $10.5 million, and he's 34 years old in about 20 days here on the 16th of August. He will be 34 years old with five years left on $10.5 million contract. And for a goaltender who's had a lot of miles on him, he's played a lot of regular season. He's played a lot of world championships, Olympics. He, this guy doesn't take time off. This is a guy who's been going since he was, you know, 16 years old in Tri-City. Um, I think the bigger factor was the age and the salary. And Ron Francis saying, nope. Um, another big factor could have been the hip. I know with goaltenders, a lot of their lateral movement comes from the hip, the pushing side to side, holding your post. Um, 
And when there's a hit concern for a goaltender, you're not, that's not a good thing. So I think he heard that and had all those factors and just said, we can't take them based on that. Um, Montreal going about it, how they did Seattle knew, and then the public found out after and they made their own perceptions. You think don't it, forget you... also Terry's also owed an eleven million dollar bonus come September, and that's a lot of money to fork over. Even if they're going to make a lot of money off the jersey sales, because Carey Price would have been the face of the franchise there, given his connections to the tri-state area, being from just north of there, mm. uh, not, not tri-state, excuse me, tri-city area, uh, and Spokane and all that all, all that area. He's just a little bit north of there in Anaheim Lake, BC. Um, that's a lot of money to fork over $11 million in one check plus ten and a half million dollars annually against the cap. That's an awful lot of money uh, for a new ownership group to fork out for one guy. Um, and I think once, once Bergevin saw Ron Francis is asking price to protect Jake Allen, like, you know, like to take someone else and not take Jake Allen, he pretty much played poker and he just called Vegas, he called Seattle's bluff, excuse me, not Vegas, Seattle's bluff. It's like, okay, you want a goalie? take Harry Price, but take $10.5 billion in your cap too. So uh, I think it was Eric Engels who wrote the article and I read it right afterwards. And he pretty much compared uh, Bergevin to a poker player and well done, Mark Bergevin. I, I was about to say, you know, you could easily make that up in Jersey sales and, you know, look at uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, you know, he became the early face of the franchise uh, for Vegas and really thrived. And, you know, even Carrie Price's wife was playing into that, uh, you know, the, the social media posts and uh, hinting and all that speculation. I think they were having a good time with it as well. Yeah. Uh, but I think deep down, they, they probably knew it was not going to happen. But uh uh, I mean, yeah, like you guys been saying, a lot of names on the board there and just they didn't pull the trigger. You know, Ron Francis is pretty proven so far uh, in his career, both as a player and uh, front office. But uh, just it's, it's like a lawn game for him now, not a, a sprint. It's a, he's he's running the triathlon right now in the Olympics. Uh, and uh, finally, to round out what has happened lately, the draft. Uh, I have to say, I did not watch the draft. Uh, normally, I'm pretty up on it, but this just with everything going on, it was just like, eh, you know, Ottawa had a the 10th overall pick, and I kind of pretty much knew who we were going to take. Uh, I was pretty set the top, even 10 to 15, really. There were no crazy surprises. Uh, but the one, you know, huge thing to come out of it is all the brothers that have now been reunited. Um, Shane Doan's son being drafted by the, the Coyotes uh, turned into a real uh, family affair this uh, coming draft. Uh, what were your takeaways from, uh, from the draft and how much help do you think uh, Owen is going to give Buffalo? A um, couple takeaways from the draft. Owen Power, I think he is going to be very, very good for Buffalo, first of all. Um, they were comparing him to Victor Hedman. He does have that size six, six. He is mobile as well. It's not like he's six, six and slow. Um, so I think he'll be a big game changer for them. They also have Dolan on that blue line. So 
those two back there could really, really help Buffalo out. Um, moving down the draft list here, I'm just pulling it up on my phone. Uh, really like the pick by Seattle, Beniers. Um, I've been watching that kid since he kind of came on the map at the World Juniors for me. He looks like he's going to be a very good player in the mold of like a Jonathan Taves or a Patrice Bergeron, just a very talented all-around centerman. Um, the brothers being reunited, that is pretty cool. The Hughes, the Hughes brothers, um, Kirby Doc's brother was also taken by Chicago. So that was pretty cool. One thing that did surprise me from the draft was um, Wallstead, the goaltender from Sweden, not being picked first. Um, Kosa being taken over him kind of shocked me a little bit because I think long-term Wallstead has more upside. Um, but we'll see. They're goaltenders and they're a coin flip at best in the draft. Those are some of my takeaways from it. Um, to answer about Owen Power and Buffalo, I actually compare Owen Power a little bit more to Brent Burns. Burns was faster, but Owen Power has got that ability to not only join the rush, but lead the rush. So I, I uh, Vector Hedman was never great at leading a rush, at least in what I saw of him in junior hockey and in so far as NHL career, he's not one to lead the rush. He likes to make that. He, he's a great outlet pass. He's one of the best first passers in the league, but I, I, I like Owen Power a little bit more to Brent Burns and his ability to lead the rush. And like, if he just sees saying, Hey, there, there's 150 feet of open ice. I'm just going to take the damn thing. Uh, he'll do that. So I, I think it's going to be great for Buffalo. If they can actually build around him and if they don't trade Jack Eichel and they actually keep that, they keep their captain and choose those two guys to build around. They actually might be something in a few years time, but that constant turmoil there, it's almost like it is in Arizona, just all the young prospects, all these great star players leaving because ownership can't make their minds up anymore. So is he going to be good for Buffalo? Only if he gets a fair crack at it. If he's not given a fair crack, in five years' time, we'll be talking about him playing for a different team. He'll sign a second contract, but he won't be, he won't finish it there. Um, so we'll, well, that's a T to be determined there. Uh, I like Ottawa's pick of Tyler Boucher, son of NHL goaltender Brian Boucher. Uh, it will surprise me. I thought they were going to go with uh, Wallstat, actually, considering that they lost Joey Decord and they were pretty high on him and in, in, in the franchise. Uh, but they can only protect one goalie, right? So uh, I'm a little surprised they didn't go for a goalie. We're, but we're I pretty like the set pick. for goalies. We got a we got a lot you, in our hands. You hope you are. You hope you are set for goalies. One's got to uh, hit, right? I mean, you, when you have 18, one's got to hit, right? Well. <laughs> uh, like I said, for, for your sake, I hope one of them turns out pretty well. Uh, I like Gustafson, by the way. That, that kid's got great upside potential. But like Kenzie said, goalies, they're hit or miss. For every one go that turns out, 10 don't. Or 10 wind up being backups. Um, so I, I thought they might, you might have gone with something with a little more upside. But there's that. Um I didn't get a chance to watch as much junior hockey this year, so I didn't get I didn't I wasn't as up to date as to every single player uh, taken. Uh, I know a couple of the Ottawa 67s got picked. Very happy for them. Uh, one of them went to Nashville, and he's going to slide in very well there with that team. Nashville is 
in my opinion, Nashville is a 21st century version of Detroit. They draft well and they develop their prospects very, very well um, before it gets too much further. But the, the elephant in the room as, as the draft goes is Montreal's pick, unfortunately. And as a Habs fan, I was very, very, very disappointed by it. Uh, the guy came out and said, please don't pick me. I'm trying to be a better person. And Montreal goes ahead and picks him anyway. Um, not the best optics. Maybe they saw something in the kid. They're like, okay, fine. We can give him a chance to make him be a better person. But not the best optics. And the NHL itself should be ashamed for not removing him as a draft-eligible player since he asked to be taken out of the draft. So I'm not trying to make the Montreal Canadiens innocent here. They're, they're just as guilty as anybody else in this situation. But the NHL should have just removed him, saying he's not an eligible player then. He's been asked to, he asked to remove himself. So not very, uh, not, very, not, very, not very happy with my own team right now. Very, it, it, it put a stain on a very good year for us. And unfortunately, that's what people are going to be talking about now for the next six months. Yeah, that was, yeah. And that happened right at the end of the draft too. So that, of course, everyone has that to talk about all night. And yeah, I think the, the NHL should have just removed him completely at his request. And now Montreal's got to answer to it. He's got to answer to it. It's constantly brought up. And that's not what certain people in the situation necessarily want. Uh, so it's... It's going to be a talking point for a little bit. And then, of course, it'll come back when training camp starts. Um, but, uh, yeah, overall, um, I mean, now it's kind of that lull in the summertime. The draft is over. Players relax, quote, unquote, hit the ice in a little bit. And uh, preseason starts right around when it should. Uh, so that means training camp happens in September and the season they release the schedule um, it looks like old times don't forget free agencies in three days time from now Wednesday uh, Wednesday morning that's true that is true see that I, already, I thought it already happened out. so in my head it's already happened because so many people <laughs> have already talked oh yeah I'm gonna uh, you know, I kind of miss the the surprise of, you know, waking up on free agency day and be like, wow, he signed here when it's like, I'm going to sign here in 15 days. You couldn't have waited 15 days. You really need to buy a house and move. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, you are correct. Wednesday, uh, we'll see where the free agents lie. Uh a lot of guys got bought out, Parise and uh, Sutter in Minnesota. Uh, I definitely want to see. I definitely want to see where they land. They're they're going to be a. I mean, you get the right deal. They be. Uh, I don't see why they wouldn't fit in. Uh, in uh, Seattle, I mean they they have. I feel like they have some sort of connection to Ron Francis at at some point in their career. So. Well, there's a lot of talk with Sutter going to Long Island because of Barry Trotz. Well, that too, yeah. They, when you have a long career like that, you're going to have people and favorites and coaches that are still around, and uh, you, you're going to have your pick of the litter, essentially. Uh, a lot of buyouts happen. Uh, well, I mean, the cap is stagnant, so it was it was bound to happen. So uh, we'll see what happens. 
uh, free agency, free agent frenzy, not, uh, you know, only, only uh, 20 some days behind schedule. So we're slowly making it back up to the regular calendar. Uh, any last thoughts on uh, this season and uh, what, uh, what to expect going into the free agent period and then training camp? Um, I think you're going to see some guys through free agency make a bit more money than I think they should. Um, teams will want covet whatever you want to use, whatever word you want to use there. Certain guys, and even though it's a flat cap, I still think you're going to see a little bit of that overpayment on certain guys. Um, and then, yeah, we'll move on into training camp and go from there. A uh, little recap on the season that was. That was the weirdest season I've ever, I've ever seen, well, at least since last season anyway. Um, I kind of missed seeing some of the American teams against Montreal. I miss seeing Boston. Uh, it's a great rivalry, so I'm looking forward to that next year. I'm looking forward to, you know, the, the, the age-old words we've been using for the last year and a half, the return to normal. Uh, I think one of the things to watch for for the summertime is an offer sheet on, on RFAs. And as a Montreal Canadiens fan, I am praying to God that Mark Bergerman has the balls and pull, makes a deal for Brady Kachuk. Because, mm-hmm. damn, I want to see him on a Montreal jersey. That'd be wonderful. Uh, or even Matthew Kachuk, one or the other. I'll take one of the Kachuk boys on Montreal. Um, but I think you, you will see some of the overspending. In the, but you won't see as much because teams will cover the cap space for middle of the year, even though everyone knows the long-term injury loophole that's still there. Everyone's going to want to shy away from using it a little bit too much because they're going to, they don't want to be looked down on by the, by the rest of everyone else being like, Oh, you're just doing what Tampa did. So I think that uh, you'll see teams use long-term injury only in the, like a last ditch maneuver instead of a first maneuver now. So I think you'll see them cover their cap space, which is where Seattle might really become a player for the rest of us. Is I can see some teams, I can see someone deciding just to spend the assets to sign a big name. I mean, the new season practically starts uh, on Wednesday, free agency. I feel like that's the when people start to look forward to the next year and you're absolutely right. Uh, less loophole using, uh, less spending people, you know, this is a, 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 a saving year, if you will, uh, where we're not sure about, uh, the, the economy year, but, uh, it's definitely, I think we're heading into a rebirth of a lot of teams, uh, teams had a lot of teams are heading up, some teams are still figuring it out. Uh, the teams of old are starting to get older and thus on their way down. And we're going to have new uh, kings of the NHL, I think, in no time. Players, teams, uh, and you know maybe a new city or state or province for that matter. Uh, but gentlemen, thank you as always uh, for coming on the podcast. Uh, hopefully you enjoy free agency. And enjoy a little bit of uh, time off from from hockey. I know you'll miss it. It'll be hard. Uh, but, uh, you know, other Olympics are happening. And then 
uh, NFL preseason starts and then, Oh, look at that hockey starts again. So it's, it's a always revolving door, just a shorter time period this time. Uh, so thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll have you back definitely in the, the coming weeks and months as we get set for the 2021-2022, hopefully uninterrupted season with 82 games and fans in the stands. <laughs>